Wednesday. So that's it. No more birthday chances. Just about the best idea in the world, but it's also the worst idea in the world. Depending on the context that you put it in, how you uh, speak it, when you speak it, is to say, God did this. You get what I'm talking about, right? So sometimes you can, sometimes that's just a matter, frankly, of praise to say, God did this, I'm so grateful. But at other times, you want to be pretty careful about how you say that. It seems to be kind of provisional in how you hold it. Uh, when certain people in positions of power say, well, I'm here because, because of God. God did this. That's been something throughout history that's been rather problematic. In fact, whole societies have rebelled against that. Wait a minute, God didn't do that. You were just born into that family. That's how that happened. Do we have the... the I don't, it, it'll come up. The matter at hand is that of providence. What does it mean to say that God is watching over us? It's a question that has been debated and discussed throughout Christian history, and it's not only Christian. In pagan systems of understanding or systems with multiple gods, there, of course, are these concepts of appeasing the gods, trying to win their approval, trying to appeal to providence. If I do this certain thing or think this certain way or take up this practice, then God will bless me. You can have different concepts of God and still feel that. Now, most of you, even in our kind of scientific advanced age, still carry that. You go through your day and you think, if I do this, then something good will happen. It's something that stays with us. I'm always interested in the things that people are willing to believe in after they reject traditional religion. I can understand many reasons for rejecting traditional religion in whatever form it comes, uh, and certainly in our culture, Christianity is probably the one that people have rejected the most, but if you live somewhere else, it would be a different kind of religious system. But oftentimes, in our part of the world, of course, and it's not to speak down to them, friends of ours, friends that you might have, they would say, oh, I could never believe in anything like Christianity. But then sometimes they believe things in this kind of providential way that just really seem to make no sense at all. Now, granted, we believe in somebody who died and rose from the dead. That's kind of strains incredulity in a way. So people say, well, I could never believe that kind of thing. But I do believe in something like, and then they take, you know, take little bits of other, other faiths like uh, Hinduism and other things that, and come up with something like karma. If I do this and, and a distorted view of what that might mean. A sports figure wears a lucky hat or a shirt. Or many of us have been watching tennis this week. And Rafael Nadal does the same thing where he pulls his ear and does this and pulls the shorts and does this every time before he serves. And it has to be exactly the same order. Why does he do it that way? Just habit? Ingrained in him is the sense that if he doesn't do this particular pattern or bounce the ball a certain number of times, then something bad will happen. The next point won't. This all comes from concepts and twisted concepts of providence. We've been mentioning in this series, Junk Drawer, what's this for? Um, will this work is another question. It is on. Um, can you advance it to the next one? Oh, that might go now. There we go. Oh, 
and the pictures don't show up. So I can really guess what's this for. They showed up in the computer earlier. So above, you can clearly see, is... The thing is, I was going to ask you what's this for, and but now I have to describe it to you so you're going to know. The picture above was a nice little lovely picture of a clover. But what kind of clover? A four-leaf clover, of course. Because if you find a four-leaf clover, what does it mean? Providence is smiling upon you and something good is going to happen. The one below, and some of us could tell us, some of you could tell us like the history of these kinds of things. The one below is a little more disturbing, at least to people like me. The one below clearly is a picture of a rabbit's foot. Right? And you used to have these keychains, or maybe some still do, and the idea is that if certain things can have, can have a power in them, charm, a charm or something like that, that something good will happen to me. The question that I have is, is providence a junk drawer idea? This has been our series. You open a junk drawer, you see something, what's this for? Do I need to keep this uh, or can I get rid of it? Some of you have like 10,000 chargers because you can't get rid of things to charge cell phones and stuff just in case you might need it. Is providence a junk drawer idea? Some would say yes. Many in our culture would say there's no such thing as providence, uh, religious or otherwise, however you might want to change it around. Uh, it's only chance. Chance and your own work or effort or decision. Some in religious circles would say, yes, there is providence. In some non-religious circles, they would say this as well in different ways. But in religious circles, you might hear that God is over all. God is watching over us. In some systems of religion through the years, uh, even in some strains of Christianity, though these kind of strain the name Christian, there is the concept that so the real, the real kind of place where this lands is in a concept called deism. Deism simply means that, sure, there might have been a God that started everything, but after that, that God is not involved. And many people would have that idea that God actually doesn't intervene. You could see why people would think that because of so many terrible things in the world. If there's a good God and God is over all, then why do these bad things happen? They're fair questions. And Scripture doesn't shy away from them. Even in our Christian Scripture, particularly in our Christian Scripture, um, there, are, there are many instances of terrible things happening. God isn't afraid of this. A quote that I heard in a class I was taking this week had to do with this. Uh, the professor said, It's very hard to make God an intruder in God's own world. Do you think God intervenes in your world? <laughs> It's very hard to make God an intruder in God's own world. Of course, God, he doesn't intervene. He's present. And others can get to the point of saying, Dear God, help my team to win. So, I'm going to read Scripture in a minute. I'm glad to be able to read Scripture. We don't, I don't always get the chance, right? Um, and uh, there's a ton of place names in it. So, But I want to ask you, before we turn to the reading of Scripture... What's the best news this week? What's your best news this week? Sometimes you think of this. Some, how's your day going? How's your week going? Was it a good week this week? And then you know, somebody says that from the front. Was it a good week this week? And everyone's like, yeah, it was great. Or no, it was terrible. Or, and most of the time we're thinking and assuming that they're asking us, how was your week? The events of your particular life. I think as Christians, we need to have a bigger view than that. And in many ways, this was a pretty good week. Locally, Angela and Alan have a little baby named Sophie now. Sophie is part of the world. 
part of our church even. That's a good week. I mean, I'm mindful that it might not have been great in terms of the events in your life, but that alone makes this a good week. Or a couple of days before Sophie was born, there were 13, 12 kids and one young man brought from death to life. That's a good week. I don't know what Monday and Tuesday were like for you, but Monday and Tuesday is when most of this rescue was happening. Those are good days. Why would people get so caught up in something like that cave rescue? I mean, I filter things obviously through my Christian faith, and it doesn't surprise me that every time in the world where people are brought from darkness to light, there is celebration. Just the possibility that those young men, those boys and that coach would not have made it and that they did touches the human spirit. Our Christian faith would say that what has happened is we've got a glimpse of resurrection. That life is bigger than death. That salvation is more than individual. Things are headed not to death and darkness and decay but to life. This is the Christian declaration. The goal of human life is not death, but resurrection. There's this picture in Revelation 13. It's an astounding picture. You should have it in your mind all the time. Bart was singing about it, leading us singing about it this morning. We talking about worthy is the lamb who was slain. Revelation 13, which is a picture of all of history being gathered before the throne of God. And in one of the pictures that's presented there, and there are many, they're plentiful, There's reference made to a lamb that was slain. We know who that is. And the words are slain before the foundation of the world, the earth. Before all eternity, there is a lamb who was slain. In other words, God humbled himself, became human. Jesus Christ gave his life so that we and all the world could have life. Or the other part of that came up in a song, the other way to put that is, all that was lost has found its place in you. And Christians declare that that is where history is headed. So let's read the scripture for this morning that will teach us, I hope, something, not everything, but something about God's providence. Acts chapter 16, uh, beginning at verse 6. This is taking place at a time when the early church is expanding and church planting, starting new churches, and basically groups of people, Paul among them, Timothy, others, are going around from place to place and speaking the gospel. And uh, this takes place, Acts chapter 16, verse 6, when they had a plan to go to one particular place and it didn't work. So... And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought 
to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Tyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well. And she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. It's uh, an interesting little passage that I'm sure you have not memorized before. It has to do with providence, the direction of God, but it comes out as being pretty messy in this particular context. We mentioned, and we should always mention all the time in everything we do in church, song, prayer, certainly scripture and sermon, that in Jesus Christ, life has overcome all death and that history is headed somewhere. Jesus Christ has defeated death and sin. He, being fully God, is the source of all life. The source of all life has given his life and defeated death in the resurrection. And now our role as Christians in this world is simply to reflect that, to bear witness to that truth, And to go and tell people that this world is not without hope. That God is good and God is present. That's Christian mission. That is vocation. And that is vision. That is what these people were doing as they were going from place to place. But they were asking, and we might well ask, what does it mean that God is with me? What does it mean that God is watching over us? So when I head to Lonsdale this week, which I'm quite sure to do, maybe visit a coffee shop or a lunch place or something like that. And I should I pray? Because Lonsdale can get pretty busy. Should I pray, Dear Heavenly Father, give me a parking spot. Should I pray that? The other night, Jen and I were going for dinner. We went to the little Thai place, 15th Street. Terrible area to park in. We couldn't get in the back parking lot. Came around front. We're stopped at the red light at 14th and Lonsdale. So there's no through there. You know what I mean? And we see, I'm like, we'll never get a parking spot here. There's construction there. They've taken all. And we see a guy signaling to pull out of a parking spot. It's like the Lord said, Todd, here's, and Jen, sorry, here's, <laughs> though she doesn't seem as worked up about it as I get, here's your spot. And then what do you think happened? Somebody was turning left off 14th Street, and they must have been closer to the Lord than I am. The one car. Anyway, that's... Uh, Should I pray for a parking spot? Is God watching over me to provide in such a way? Where's the line? There are many times I've said, thank you, Lord, for this spot. I always kind of chuckle when I do it, too. Where's the line, though? What if it's a job? What if it's a job you're asking, Heavenly Father, would you guide me here? Or relationships. Where's that line? What is God watching over and saying, yes, I'm guiding you here? And what is like, well, no, that's just chance. We need to be mature in these kinds of things. 
or a church wall. Surely he'll make that clear. We'll know for sure. We have to trust in God in much deeper ways. Sometimes circumstance and other things can direct us. And in this text, they had a plan, but certainly they had many places where that plan changed. I'm interested in these terms, uh, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. I keep doing this so infrequently that then it... God's direction in Acts chapter 16. They went through Phrygia and Galatia, and then this next line, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. What kind of God forbids you to speak the word of God? But that's what's being said here. The Holy Spirit forbid them from going to Asia, where I assume they originally planned to go. So when they'd come up to Mysia, they attempted, now they've got plan B, right? They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them. There's all kinds of interesting things you can do with the text here because the first instance, it's the Holy Spirit and the second one, it's the Spirit of Jesus and all biblical scholars will do all kinds of tumbling through hoops and the, the, the real answer here is it's the same thing. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. So there's some sense that they had a plan but it's being thwarted and they're saying in their description of it thwarted by God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ by God himself. So, plan C. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and there a vision appeared to Paul. So, Paul at night, and you can think, you can imagine how this would be. Well, I thought we were going to do this, and I thought we were going to do this. Now, I don't know what to do. And a bunch of people are trying to convince one another. And then Paul has a vision of all things. And in his vision, he sees this man from Macedonia who says, you need to come and help us. Or would you come and help us? They apparently have some kind of meeting after this. Paul communicates the vision that he's had. And because if you, if you look at the text, it says, and then we concluded that God had called us to preach in Macedonia. In other words, Paul came and told us the vision, and we talked about it a little bit. And we decided, well, that seems pretty clear to us. In other words, this is trustworthy, because sometimes visions aren't always but given the circumstances that we're being prevented from doing that which we thought originally we should do, and now you've had, the, maybe we should just go to Macedonia. And so that's where they set off. They go to this leading city of Macedonia. They stay there for a number of days. And then you see another providential line where it says, and we went to the riverside where we supposed there would be a place of prayer. Isn't that a great line too? This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ the establishment of the early church, that which is going to affect all of history, and doesn't it seem rather hodgepodge to you? We thought there might be a place of prayer there, so we went there, and we sat down. And it doesn't say, and we found a place of prayer. It says we sat down by the river. There were some women there. And so we started talking to the women, and we met somebody named Lydia. And Lydia had heard of God. Lydia, in fact, was a worshiper of God. And then, it, then the text says, we're, what we're told is that her heart was opened, as Paul spoke. She is baptized in her whole family. This is one of the sections in Scripture where um, people, uh, churches that have, have baptized as infants, like baptized infants, get from a few places in Scripture where it's this person and their whole family was baptized. 
As it turns out, Lydia becomes a significant figure. Through Lydia, the gospel is moved. Here they talk about a Roman colony, right? So they were wanting to basically go east. They wound up going west is kind of the idea. And the gospel of Jesus Christ spreads to another part of the world where it had not gotten to before. Through what? Happenstance? What's happening here? How is God leading? And you could ask the question, is God leading? What is their plan? They clearly have some kind of plan, but they're willing to hold it lightly. They're forbidden by carrying out the plan that they thought was best. And then through this vision of all things, they stumble into the biggest thing that God had for them, which was probably much smaller than they'd anticipated. They wind up talking to one individual in one place. Her heart is opened. Just one person, her family. But through that, the gospel advances. So point one, the first thing to say, is that their call was to bear witness to Jesus, to declare the gospel. Why this matters to you and in your life? Well, simply because I would ask, what's the call in your life? The default assumption in our culture right now is that, well, I guess the highest call in our culture, to be fair, would be help other people. That's laudable. That's good, right? That's even Christ-like in very many ways. But at times, it seems like the default call in our culture is get the best life you can. And if you have children, try to get them the best life that they could get. That's almost spoken of now as a virtue. What's the call in your life? Scripture is going to give us a different answer to that question. And, or as a church, what's our call? Our call together is inviting others to see the love of God through the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, we are people of hope. Now, this is not the only passage that you could use or go to to think about providence. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus Christ is actually... The context here is Jesus is speaking about what it costs to follow him. So keep that in mind. He's actually not talking about building towers or going to war. Those are metaphors for what he's actually talking about is, consider how much it costs to follow me. Okay? For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost? You've got your spreadsheets, and here's what this is going to cost. You've got your budget. If you're building a tower, you count the cost. Lest, after you've laid the foundation, you're not able to finish it. And all who pass by see it, and they mock you. And they say, that person intended to build a big tower, and they look foolish because they didn't count the cost. Or what king, going to war against another king, does not sit down first and count, what Jesus is saying is count the troops. Consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against with 20,000. Maybe I shouldn't go to war. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. Now here's Jesus' point. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. A couple points here. One is that it makes good sense not to just simply say, well, I guess we don't need to count the cost and figure things out. We'll just wait and see what God tells us to do. We are to employ the best that we have and the best that we can think. 
But there's something bigger in this Luke passage, and that is Jesus Christ saying, if you follow me, you give up an awful lot. And you ought to know that. Now, what do you give up? You give up that sense of living your life to just get the most you can and find the most comfort. Count the cost. If you want to build your life on me, Jesus Christ says, you cannot consider what will give you your most comfortable life. In this passage, they have a call. They have a vocation, and that's to bear witness to the love and victory of Jesus Christ. Here is a distinction in our world. There's a distinction between faith and choice. Not that in faith you don't have choice, but in terms of how you live your life and what you live your life for, there is a distinction. Christian faith will say, and I could just walk around the room and point to each, Christian faith will say, every single one of us has a vocation. You know what that means? doesn't mean vacation. doesn't mean job. It means call. It means you have been made with a purpose. And that purpose is to declare the love of God in the world. To reflect God's goodness. Now you're going to do it in a different way than I do. And that's another beautiful part of the picture. If each of us are doing that, and all of us are doing that together, then they'll know the love of God by our love for one another and our reflection of that love in this world. You have a vocation. You have a call on your life to glorify God, to bless others. And we would say in this faith understanding, we have then been given talents and gifts and personality in order that we would make a difference. We are to develop those gifts and talents. But the distinction is, the other way of thinking of it, is that more than vocation or call, and in in both of these pictures you can make the other one smaller. So people who say, no, it's all about choice, can sometimes still talk about call because they'll say, well, you're super talented at this, so obviously you're called to do that. Now, they can use that language without ever having the concept of anything transcendent. The question would be, what gives you the call then? Just chance, I guess, gives you the call. And in faith understanding, we certainly still have choice. But the distinction is that they upset these two. So in most of the world now, the default would be, I don't know that people live by this, but, but it's what's assumed, is that you have choice. You make yourself to be who you want to be. You do not depend upon the guidance of another. In other words, you are not looking to say, you don't say, dear God, what would you like me to do? You just decide. Or you take counsel from others. But you don't depend upon the guidance of anything transcendent. Instead, you use your talent for whatever you desire. And in our culture, most of what's set up as a laudable desire is use your talent to kind of establish the best life you can and maybe do some good in the meantime. Vocation has to do with obedience. So I would say in my life, whatever, and by God's grace, whatever is true about this, and, and as you serve, you realize how kind of small and, and inadequate you are. But whatever talents or gifts I've been given, whatever talents or gifts you've been given, I would say in my life, Heavenly Father, I want to use these for this call. That's obedience. Vocation has obedience connected to it. Choice has much more self connected to it. Why are these individuals in the book of Acts so okay 
with such changes in plans. Why? Because they believed they had a vocation. They believed that God was guiding them and leading them even through changing circumstances and that God ultimately would accomplish his purposes. They were able to let go of their own plans. My interest for you, I wish I could say this to every one of you, I can say it now by looking out, and all those who aren't here this Sunday as well, my interest for you, and please don't take this as judge, I care about your comfort, I like when things go well for you, all that kind of stuff, but for the most part you have enough people in your life championing those kind of causes, right? Often family members, friends, whatever. You might need people to champion some different causes, and I'll line myself up there and say, my desire for you is that you would know that you have a vocation before the living God. And there's no one who is outside of this. You're not too old. You're not too weak. You've been called to reflect the love of God. I have an inkling that as you even open to that, you come to life. So that certainly it's a better life than you ever could have imagined. But it doesn't mean that it comes with ease. Every one of you, this is my belief, because of my Christian faith, has a call. That's my interest for you. What are your big decisions right now? What are the points in your life where you are thinking, oh, I can't figure this out. How will this work? Or where are the places where you're most upset because something isn't working as you'd like it to? I hope those things work out for you, of course. But my prayer for you as pastor is that in whatever circumstance you're in like that, you would, by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, reflect the love of God to those around you at that time. Whether you win or lose. Whether it goes the way you'd like or not. It's why, it's why a much higher view of healing than simply the cure of disease, right? And you've known people who've prayed for healing in their own lives, and then sometimes they don't experience it. I'm referencing people of faith here now. And then somehow the door opens to them, they're able to see something higher than even simply physical healing. And they say, Lord God, would you let me reflect your love even now at the time of my diminishment, potentially even the time of my death. Much greater healing there. Whether you win or lose, when you discover that you have a vocation. So, of course, I'm speaking this at a time for us as a church where this is something we need to be mindful of. It's a good place to be when you face a challenge or an opportunity, and they're not always easy to discern the difference, right? To say, well, I don't know what's going to happen. But to be committed in that process, Heavenly Father, let me reflect your love in all of what happens. It's my interest for you. That is where we are to bear witness. The God of the universe humbled himself, took on flesh, gave his life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ suffered death through crucifixion, took on all the sin and death that ever was, and defeated it. 
before the foundation of the earth, the Lamb who was slain. I don't see, and this is no disrespect to them, but I have to believe I don't see things in the same way that my non-Christian friends see them. Because my hope comes from someone who gave his life, the God of the universe, and I see things headed not to death, but to life. That's what we bear witness to. He gave his life and suffered death, rose again and defeated death, and he is making all things new. So what big decisions do you have? What is providence in your life? You get a parking spot downtown Vancouver or on Lonsdale, you can say, and I'll, I'll second your prayer, thank you, dear Lord, and smile at the same time. Not one of us knows all the intricacies of the providence of God. But we do know that the revelation of God is entirely contained in Jesus Christ, his love for the world. So we go ahead. You, in each of your lives, with the decisions you face, and me and my family, and also us together as a church, not knowing exactly what will happen, but Heavenly Father, would you renew this call of our vocation? That's the renewal that's necessary. Not figuring out whether it's Bithynia or Mysia or Macedonia. Lord God, renew this call in our lives for your glory. Let's pray. And I'll pray for the communion. Though at times we take communion and, and the ritual of communion itself can be relatively brief, right? Um, we pray over it. We sing. or there, there is singing as we receive. This is the heart of everything we do. So as you receive this bread and this cup, and we always say, if you know Jesus Christ or you would like to, you're welcome to receive. You don't have to. Even if you're a Christian, but you have something you know that you need to make right with somebody else, you have a broken relationship that you know you, have a, you can do something about that, whatever it is, there are times when you let the communion pass by. But we say you're welcome to receive if you know Jesus Christ or you would like to. And in receiving this communion, his bread broken, his body broken for you, his blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins and mine and the world's. In receiving, you declare his death until he comes. You also declare his resurrection and the hope that's in him. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you that all of our attempts to describe providence are tentative at best. Help us to mature in this regard. Forgive us for sometimes wanting simply easy answers, having catchphrases or slogans. I have known and I continue to know your hand of providence and guidance and direction in my life, and for that I'm grateful. I give you all the praise for every good thing. But there are these times when we say we can't see how you're leading us unless you've led us here to where we're lost enough to let ourselves be led. So, we are grateful for not knowing how each thing will work out, whether it's individually or as a church. 
but we trust in you, and we ask that you would remind us of our vocation. And now as we come to the table, Lord Jesus Christ, we're reminded that whatever our plans are, and whatever we get right or wrong, and if the in the biggest decisions that lie ahead of us, if we messed every one of them up and got them all wrong, your sacrifice would still be sufficient. We don't have to figure it out. So let us receive this bread and this cup knowing the life that is in you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.